Hello, and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Walid Zueta, star of Channel 4 drama Baghdad Central, about the launch of his own production company, Flip Narrative, in a bid to tackle diversity in film and television. And Susan Nielsen, creator and showrunner of Family Law, talks about resuming production on the Canadian legal drama and how it draws on her own experiences. Walid Zueta, star of Channel 4 drama Baghdad Central, has launched his own production company, Flip Narrative, in a bid to tackle diversity in film and television. The actor and producer broke through with the movie Omar, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the 2013 Oscars, and has also appeared in HBO BBC miniseries House of Saddam, Sex and the City 2, The Men Who Stare at Goats, and Netflix's Altered Carbon. But it was his experience on Fremantle Iraq set crime thriller Baghdad Central, picked up in the US earlier this year by Hulu, which inspired him to establish Flip Narrative. He spoke to Clive Whittingham about the projects the firm has in development, the partnerships it's seeking, and its mission to improve representation within the industry. Flip Narrative is a newly formed company, and uh, myself, my wife, and producing partner, and a couple other partners have formed a global company uh, based in Los Angeles, uh, London, New York, and Beirut. And our mission is to amplify the voice of underrepresented and historically misrepresented voices around the world. Our starting focus is going to be in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia, Manasa, with um, uh, ambitions and goals to go into the Far East and Asia and and global reach. You've got some initial projects um, on your slate. What can you tell us about those? So we have a, a growing slate of about 10 to 12 projects at various stages of development. We've also had some projects that have come to us that are very late in development and are close to getting into production, which we're considering. The, the projects that we're ready to talk about now are the ones that are most or closest to getting into production and development. And so the there's a Lebanon-based project called The Valley, and it's the pitch that Flip Narrative has engaged in is a pitch for a Lebanese-based TV series, a crime thriller family story that takes place in Lebanon with pan-Arab appeal, but an international show made for international audiences that happens to take place in Lebanon, in the Bekaa Valley of Lebanon. And it's about the illicit drug trade that is happening there. It's, it's a community of Lebanon that people know about, and there's a lot of stories surrounding it. We're looking to create something that is a, a gripping thriller for audiences. And we're looking at Baghdad Central as a case study for the kind of uh, content we want to create, high-end quality content for global audiences. You know, Baghdad Central was primarily in English, 75%, 25% was in Arabic. With the Valley, we would do uh, a bit of a reversal of that. It would be 65% of it would be in Arabic. And about 35% of it would be mostly English with a little French to be representative of Lebanon. For the Valley, we brought together two 
Lebanese American writers. There were two competing projects and both of them turned out to be friends of ours. But that spirit of bringing very talented people together to create something even better than what they had individually created is very representative of the kind of collaborative spirit that we have as a company. We're looking for those kinds of opportunities of collaboration. And Perception is, is another project that I've, I've seen that you guys are involved with. What, uh, what can you tell us about it? Great. So Perception is a project that came to us in a near final form and came to us as a, a presented as a documentary. It's about a, a forgotten and impoverished town outside of Cairo. The main purpose of this village is collecting garbage for the whole country. And a part of it is uh, they have their own recycling system. And so this artist, the world-renowned graffiti artist, his name is El Cid, and he ventures into this uh, town and paints uh, a very ambitious grand mural on the buildings of this village. And it's just an inspiring documentary that came to us and it fit perfectly within our mission statement. It also fit perfectly in terms of our mandate in wanting to give back to the communities that we film in or that we produce their stories. So uh, we fell in love with it and through advice that we've been given from our representatives and from industry experts, there's a growing need for short form documentaries and short form content. And the documentary is kind of in a no man's land in terms of length. When it came to us, it's not long enough to be a full doc, but it's too long to be a short form. So we're actually cutting it down and we have uh, A-list editors working on it right now. One of them is actually from Egypt. And so they're very personally drawn to the subject. And so we're getting it down to 45 minutes to submit it for festivals, streamers, and for awards consideration. Uh, so, sounds interesting. There was a third project, a Palestine-Israeli romantic comedy. And can you yeah. tell us about the third project? Sure. I saw I saw the, the, the question mark in your face when you said romantic comedy, Palestine? <laughs> no, it's, it's great. I mean, it technically is a romantic comedy. It's probably one of the best feature scripts that has come our way and that we've read. There's not a role in there for me. So it's purely a decision based Based on the material and the content. I can't mention the title just because we're in the middle of finalizing the deal. But what I can tell you generally about it is that it's a birthright story that's written by two Jewish American writers who had had their own birthright experiences and are very familiar with it and have done just extensive study and they have podcasts about it. And and they wrote this just a really moving, very uh, character-driven screenplay about their experiences. It's disruptive content in the sense that it makes you think and feel and really look at things from a completely different perspective. And so we're just thrilled to be talking to them about collaboration. What does Flip Narrative bring to the table in these in these projects? Is it is it money? Is it expertise? What's the advantage of having you guys on board? We feel we bring all of the above. Essentially, I have to say this, as a new company, as a startup, and this has always been my philosophy as an actor and a producer, is that I always consider myself a student. And our team, even though we're a global company with members that have extensive experience uh, in their areas of specialty, we consider ourselves students. And so we're looking to find the right partnerships we don't see, and this again is reflective of my own ideology as an actor, is I don't really look at competition. It's competing with myself and trying to always have a better version of that. And so that internal competition is what we're looking at as our competitors. We're, we're looking at like-minded partnerships. So it's really about finding the right partners. So it, what we bring to the table is access to uh, financing. 
we bring to the table uh, the resources and the relationships that we have on the ground in the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia. We bring undiscovered talent and content and IP, intellectual property that's specific to the region and that has value. We bring our resources for writers, directors, casting directors, editors, and any aspect of the filmmaking industry. That's the resources that we bring together as a company based on, you know, three decades of being, uh, of doing this. So with the right partnerships, we feel that the ambitious projects that we have on our slate, they're more than deserving of an audience and that the audiences are ready to see these different stories. On the financing side of things, uh, there's quite a unique development fund behind this company, I, I gather. I mean, it's tough times all over the world at the moment, but how's the funding been put together for, for this project? So I got some great advice from the head of Echo Lake, Echo Lake Management, who manages me. Doug Mankoff gave me some advice. He's like, when you're starting a development fund, you want to make sure that your investors know that this is the highest risk investment. But he said it's also the most valuable investment because if you can get the right talent and the right writers to write the content, the IP, which everybody is attached to, that's valuable. And so that is great advice. Uh, Take that to heart. And we've extended that advice to everybody we're fundraising from. We have a network of investors, all Palestinian high net worth individuals that invested in Omar. We went to them first and our reach has extended beyond Palestinian investors. And we're going to people that are emotionally invested in our mission and first. Second, where they see the opportunity, the market opportunity and the potential. And we believe the potential is very, very high. One of the, the articles that is very early in our business document talks about the numbers growing in the next five years in just Middle East and North Africa that it's going to triple. It's currently 1 billion and that market is going to be close to 3 billion in, in the next five years. These are figures that Maz Sheikh and Stars Play Arabia and other Middle East streamers are very aware of. So we see that the opportunity and we see the opportunity for authentic content that is disruptive. And disruptive to us means it is content that makes you think and feel and takes you outside of your, your comfort zone and puts you in a, in a different locale where you can see the other perspective and many other perspectives. So it's not, it's not about presenting the other side or the other narrative. It's about showing that it's not a black or white world. Through flip narrative, we feel we're going to be able to present the variety of spectrum of colors that different conversations are happening under current. Um, are these Middle East and North African projects for Middle East and North African audiences, or are they for Western audiences or both? They are for both. That's the short answer. The The longer answer is that Flip Narrative is interested in making international shows for international audiences. But because our focus is about the people and the locales of the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia, what we're doing is we're making sure that our home base is uh, connected to the material before we start getting other partners around the world. So with the Valley, for example, we're looking to securing a Middle East streamer broadcaster early on to be a part of the original content. We want to make sure that we maximize the home territory before we go out uh, elsewhere. Uh, it just makes us a, as a stronger package. The streamers have sort of changed the game on, on international drama and factual, both the bigger streamers, particularly Netflix, but also smaller outfits, Walter Presents and things like that. I mean, you would know from the projects you've worked on before, 
how big is that international audience for local and often foreign language drama now? How is that? How has that changed, and how does it fit into the mission of this company? So, from the research that we've done, we know that the international numbers are growing for international content. We know that uh, the Middle East numbers, in particular, we're seeing. We have more data on the Middle East numbers right now, and we're gathering data on the further reach that we described. But in general, is that we're looking at shows shows like Gamora or Money Heist or The Dark and shows that have been made in their original language authentically that have transcended and uh, borders and and traveled uh, worldwide so the the market potential for those audiences are far bigger than a market that is the Middle East and knowing this as a producer from when we sold Omar that's a small market compared to the rest of the world market so from a business standpoint it wouldn't make sense but it's also not our intention. Our intention is to elevate the characters, places, and locales of the Middle East, North Africa, and South Asia to the rest of the world. So this may explain a little bit too, is that we tend to call ourselves insider-outsiders. And to, to us, that was a very accurate reflection of how we are. We're, we're straddling the line between the place of where we grew up and our heritage and what we call home now. And so for us, we feel that that's a great opportunity and a window into having an objective and very educated view of presenting these stories with authenticity, but also an outside eye looking at different perspectives and different audiences and seeing you know what translates and what doesn't. I notice as well the company is intending to sort of control its own IP rather than use third parties or, or give up IP on projects. Can you tell me why you've gone down that road? And this stems from my learning experience with Omar. My brothers were my anchor investors on that. And when we first started discussions with the filmmaker, Hani Abu Asad, my brothers are both finance guys, have nothing to do with the arts. And so they were very kind of straightforward about it. And they said, we don't want to invest any time, energy, or money until we're engaged with the rights. It was very straightforward. We're engaged with the rights. Now we can protect our efforts, money, and we're protected. So what we're looking at is extending that to the company and saying, okay, the company has a lot of talent, resources, and we want to make sure that we're using our time wisely. So we'll engage with projects and work and fundraise them as long as we're protected. We don't want to do shopping agreements with people for the sake of just putting it out in front of people. We want to actually spend money on increasing the value of it. And the only way that that protects the investor's money, if you're engaged in the underlying rights. And when you're engaged in the underlying rights, you are able to strike the best deals with the best streamers. You have optionality. And optionality is a big part of our business where it's a high-risk industry, it's very competitive, and people are looking for the best content for their platforms. So we feel we're positioned our investors and ourselves in the best way to to have success. What challenges are there launching uh, an initiative, a company like this during the COVID pandemic? Because we hear all the time that particularly drama is challenge the amount of people on set. How do you get around that? What are the particular challenges around COVID for you guys? Let me say this, like one, as an actor and producer, I'm continually inspired by this industry. It's adaptability, it's innovation, it's um, investment in technology and really caring for the individual. We, we, We have such big crews in our industry. And when COVID hit, it's a huge concern. And the industries had pretty much shut down. But what's encouraging is 
that not only the industry, but we as a reflection of the industry, nobody can um, tamper our passion. Nobody, nobody can um, uh, contain it, you know? So we were trapped under COVID. Nobody, you know, I had a film that I was supposed to do that got canceled as many others. And everybody at Flip Narrative was kind of came together. We had been planning this company for the past couple of years, but under COVID is where we were working nonstop because there was not only a priority for this, there was a real urgency, especially because during the lockdown of COVID, we had several things that were happening in the world that were adding more urgency to our mission and to bring people together and to have inclusive content and to inclusivity and diversity. For me, inclusivity and diversity are, are very, very parallel terms. You can't have diversity without having inclusivity. And so it, it's it's been a very inspiring time where we feel that we built something under lockdown because of our passion, commitment, and not letting anything stop us. And so we've been having from 6 a.m. Pacific time to work with hours in the Middle East and Europe and abroad on Zoom calls. We've been working from 6 a.m. to at least 6, 7 in the evening here on Zoom calls and speaking to people virtually, pitching, closing deals with with writers and editors and fundraising. And so where we are right now is we have two committed investors uh, personally, and they're looking to help us raise the remainder of the development fund. So uh, for us, that's a huge win because it's a very uncertain time for investors, for the industry at large, uh, but we're encouraged by the innovation and by the not giving up of the industry, which is, which is us. And we're finding solutions. So I'm about to go do a film in Prague in about, you know, a few weeks, less than a month from now. And also like projects are being written to be COVID friendly and being planned accordingly to be COVID friendly. We're doing the same thing as a company. And I think that that's essential and it's responsible for health and safety. And that's all I have to say on that. <laughs> um, and just finally, obviously on the, the diversity element of the company and unheard voices, I've heard a lot of television broadcasters and companies in our industry talk about that for a long time and kind of got the impression they were paying lip service to it. Do you get the same impression that I do that 2020 and everything that's gone on means that actually this time there is going to be real change? I'm an optimist. So I have to start by saying that I'm also in a field that is you create based on imagination. As an actor, as a writer, as a producer, it starts here and then it, it goes and it travels. So I don't know if it's lip service. I do think a lot of people in the industry are genuinely believe in diversity and inclusivity. I think there are different ways in going about it. And I like to quote Riz Ahmed for saying something on an interview with Trevor Noah, where he basically said diversity to him was like the fries on the side. You know, I want to get a burger with the fries. And he said that he liked underrepresented as a more accurate term because it basically said that, you know, we, we deserve more representation. And what we're saying is we're taking that even further. We're saying, hey, there is quite a bit of representation out there, but let's get it right. Let's correct the misrepresentation that has happened historically. 
and let's create our own content and not pay our own lip service to it, but actually do it and actually find the writers to get that voice out and to and to, to really look for that material. So it, it's a number of things, you know, and, and we've as a company have been really studying very hard what's the messaging that we wanted to say, because it, it is about being inclusive and it's not about shutting out certain voices. And it's not about saying there's a, a black or white story or narrative here. It's saying that there are many shades of gray in between. Everybody has a narrative. Who tells the story is the storyteller. That, 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 is, that is us in a nutshell. And, and that is that's a, a mission and vision that we take very seriously. It's very personal to us. Um, we want to disrupt the status quo. Uh, we want to challenge the status quo. And we want to give voice to unheard voices. Not just seeing faces on our screens that are unseen faces, but giving the voice. And that's not just an actor talking. That's the writer creating and creating a POV that is specific to a group of people or many groups of people that have not been the main vocal point or emotional and intellectual centerpiece of, uh, of a show, just like my character was in Baghdad Central. You felt the character's emotions, you were thinking what the character was thinking, and, and never in my experience have we been really attached to a character that's the other as much as we were with a drama like Baghdad Central. A dear friend of ours is the creator of Rami, Rami Yusuf. He did that on a comedic level, and you know his show is not just a comedy, it's a it's a brilliant show. And we feel there's more room for that. With these two really kind of iconic pieces of work, we feel like this is like a very important time to create uh, an avenue to have more of these stories. Walid Zueta from Flip Narrative. Canadian legal drama Family Law was two weeks into production in February when the coronavirus pandemic hit. The show, about a lawyer and recovering alcoholic struggling to put her career and family back together, is now back in action in Vancouver for global television. Creator and showrunner Susan Nielsen told Michael Pickard how the 10-part series from 724 Films and Lark Productions and distributed by E1 draws on her own experiences and aims to upend the traditional procedural structure with character-focused storylines. So we're midway through this round of production, if you minus the two weeks we did before we got shut down. <laughs> so it's, it's going really, really well. What was that like then, to, to be filming only for a couple of weeks and, and to have to shut down and then have to then kind of get everything back into place to, to go again sort of now? What's that been like for you? Uh, obviously, I mean, it was it was pretty devastating when things got shut down. However the entire world was shutting down. So um, I think there was a sense of, you know, we're all in this together. And interestingly, when we came back, I mean, I think everybody was obviously very hungry to get back to work. It was really strange. On the very first day, it was the bonus of getting those two weeks was that it gave us a chance to get to know each other and like bond with the crew and the cast. And we were really starting to feel like a family. And so I'm really happy we got those two weeks, oddly, because then when we came back, you know, a couple of people said midday, it's kind of like we just did a Rip Van Winkle and went to sleep for a few months and everything just kind of fell back into place remarkably well, except of course we were all wearing masks and all hand sanitizing and 
working under a lot of new protocols. Can you tell us a bit about that? What, what kind of working environment have you had to kind of put in place to ensure production can continue and, and obviously everyone's health is uh, put yeah. as a priority? I'm probably not the best person to talk about the details of that simply because like I was not the one who was working round the clock putting all of this stuff together. That was um, left to much greater minds than mine. But certainly I know that, you know, we had a 40 page manual that we all had to read. We had a video that was made specifically for our production by a health and safety person. We all get our temperatures checked every morning. The cast are regularly given COVID tests. Every department has their own list of protocols to follow. And, you know, so far so good. But in terms of details, I'm not the one to talk to. And, and so just, just, I mean, just give us an introduction to the show then, Family Law. It's, we have a daughter, an estranged daughter, coming back to work for her father's law firm and, and meeting, I guess, the, the siblings, the half-siblings that she kind of hasn't really ever got to know. I mean, just tell us a bit about the story, the characters, and, and I guess how you came to the story. Sure. Well, I would say how I came to the story. We don't have to dig too deeply because uh, if we look at my own family background, my poor dad, I feel so bad because he's... He's alive and well and a lovely man, but he, you know, he left my mom for another woman. Uh, I didn't meet my dad until I was a teenager. He left uh, right after I was born. And when I met my dad, I also met my half brother and half sister from only one other marriage, <laughs> not not two. So I think that uh, that background was just interesting fodder, I suppose. So that was the inception of the idea, you know, that this daughter who has long believed that her father is uh, responsible for all of her woes. She's got a chip on her shoulder. She's a personal injury lawyer. She's an alcoholic. And as the show opens, she's been kicked out of the family home because of her drinking. And she does a spectacularly terrible thing in court (laughs) and is suspended for three months, almost disbarred. But the only way she can continue to practice law is by working under a a senior lawyer in town. And the only lawyer who will take her on is her estranged father, who's the top uh, family lawyer in town. So really, I guess the conceit was, I never thought I would write a procedural. I'm very much into character. I like a blend of comedy and drama usually, but I loved the idea of family on three levels. This woman who's suddenly having to work with her estranged father and these siblings who she never knew growing up while they are helping other families in crisis. And at the same time, she's trying to win back her husband and two children who feel incredibly burned by her, I suppose. And she's trying to win them back. I mean, do you, do you find that easy writing, you know, about such personal circumstances, but I guess transplanting that onto fictional characters and, and a fictional legal firm? Is that, have you found that easy in the development of the show? Yes. I mean, the, obviously the writing is always challenging, but I, I also have an incredible team of writers. And what's very, very interesting is that like from the moment I pitched this show to uh, Chorus, and I, I I do have to say like they have been an amazing partner on this show but like when I pitched it to them well you know those network executives have their own dysfunctional family stories 
I hope they don't mind my saying that. When I was building the story department, every single person in that story department has their own fascinating family stories. Like, I think we all do. And if we don't, it's simply because we haven't found the skeletons in the closet yet. So I think we all bring a lot of our own experiences. Like, it'll be very interesting when we're talking about it. And it can be a story that none of us have had, you know, any direct experience with in terms of the law story. But finding those connections with the personal stories with our lawyers and their families families. We're, we tend to be often bringing things from our own lives or frankly, you know, be careful what you tell a writer because we're also saying, oh, and you know what this uh, friend of mine told me about their family. So, you know, we're always bringing stuff like that to the table. I think finding the voices of Abby, Abby for me was fairly straightforward because I think I probably share some of her personality traits. Um, she's fairly judgmental. She's quick with the barb. She's sometimes a bit juvenile. <laughs> These are all qualities that I possess. And then other characters, I was really grateful to have, you know, the hive mind in the story department. You know, Daniel was one that I felt I never on my own fully got him fully formed. That's the beauty of television is that it's so collaborative, right? And you surround yourself with people who are as good or better than you and you get better results. And you said, you know, you never thought you'd write a procedural. I mean, is this a pure procedural in the sense of, of what we might know procedurals to be? Or how have you blended that kind of family story with the law case of the week? Um, it's actually been really great because um, I always wanted there to be at least an equal emphasis on the procedural, the case and the family stories. And, you know, traditionally, I know here in Canada, I think we're used to getting the note that, you no, know, you got to emphasize the procedural and there's, you know, high stakes, high stakes, high stakes. And, and what I really have loved about this process is that, you know, our partners at Chorus and at E1 in, in, in the UK, they've been really on board with giving at least equal weight to the family stories. So, you know, and we have some episodes that aren't really traditional courtroom cases. Uh, you know, we've got our fair share of those as well, but uh, that's been really liberating. I feel like we've been able to toy a little bit with, you know, perhaps the slightly more traditional model. And certainly what I'm always very, very interested in, it's all about those characters and including in the cases as well, right? We've tried to make those people very three-dimensional, obviously. And um, I, was, I was interested to know, obviously you're a writer, an author, you know, alongside your TV work. I mean, how do you you, you know, view the two mediums compared to, you know, your writing process for, you know, when you're in your in your room writing a novel compared to when you're in a room with five or six other writers and you're fleshing out, you know, the case of the week for family law and, you know, being a showrunner as well on top of that. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Well, I mean, I will say I don't balance them because like I cannot be working on a book right now like that and, and I apologies to um, I have a wonderful UK publisher uh, Anderson Press but uh, you know I started writing the novels I think my first one was published in 2008 and and honestly like for most of that time I did very little TV work I kind of transitioned into writing the novels instead and I loved it I, what I loved about and I love about writing the novels is that it's you know it just all comes from here and there's there's a lot like there's not a lot of interference with the process until I show it to my you know amazing editors who uh, you know give me amazing notes etc and I loved the ability to go more internal I suppose with um, my characters but still have that blend of comedy and uh, drama but it's really interesting I think it's been so valuable 
having writing those books and then coming back to this world because I feel like I do think something I've gotten a lot better at is going deeper into character and I feel like these scripts like this show actually had a first life at another network just in development uh, about honestly it was almost eight years ago now and I know that the scripts are so much better this time around because I think I the novel writing has taught me to dig deeper. I love both aspects. I will say what I'm loving right now about this, frankly, is the collaborative nature of it, of not having to do it all on my own. And there is something super rewarding about seeing your work come to fruition, I believe, really well on screen so far. So I do love both mediums, but no balancing. It's one or the other. And you, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, you like comedy and, and drama. So how do we see, I, I can imagine the drama playing out in, in family law, but where do we find the comedy coming from? Well, again, I mean, honestly, it really just comes from the characters. I'm trying to imagine how to describe it. Like I, I go to this, this is, this sounds like really highfalutin and in, in, a, in a million years, I will never, ever write anything as good as David Sedaris. I don't know where he lives, but he, and he goes garbage picking every day. He's, oh, he's absolutely hilarious. He writes um, essays uh, about him and his family. And I talk about the David Sedaris moments where he'll, you know, in one paragraph, you'll start out laughing and laughing. And by the end of the paragraph, you'll tear up because he'll do a switch partway through. And in our show, I talk about sometimes the David Sedaris moments where we start a scene on comedy and end in something that kind of punches you in the gut or we start in something that punches you in the gut and end on a laugh. I don't know how to better describe it, I guess, except the humor really does come from the characters and and certainly Abby is and the our actress, Jewel State, is unbelievable. Like she's taken, you know, our work, which I think is very solid work and just elevated it and she can just in a look, suddenly she can make you laugh. But I mean it's, it's, it's less sort of, um, I guess, coming from the situations they find themselves in is it and more of more like say just the characters and you know their personalities or behavior yeah it's not like you know there's no uh you know Pratt falls or anything like that one of our characters does get hit in the eye with a skittle i mean and i noticed um you know in the initial announcement from from global they kind of described this as a, a unique and original kind of legal procedural i mean what would you say stands out about the show or why do you think viewers will, will kind of come to it and and really warm to the, the premise and the characters. I do think that the humor is is absolutely unique. And I do think, I think it's a show that is kind of perfect for the time that we're living in right now because you know it's a challenging time for many reasons like even before COVID happened it felt like kind of a a challenging uh, time and this is absolutely a feel-good show you know our characters are very real they're genuinely flawed but every episode and I will say I do believe this is my own worldview every episode does end on a note of hope I think people will absolutely recognize the drama that happens within families and you know both our lead characters but also the cases every week and you know that fine line sometimes between love and hate and you know the what is the expression there's always three sides to every story his side her side and the truth and I think we certainly get that week after week I think people are going to recognize their own families 
uh, sometimes in some of these stories. But at the end of the day, I do think it's a show that I think leaves you able to go to bed feeling good at night, as opposed to, I mean, some shows that I absolutely love watching, but, uh, you know, some shows, and honestly, some shows I just can't even watch these days. Like I had to stop, like I'm a Canadian and uh, Margaret Atwood is one of my all-time heroines. I love Handmaid's Tale. I love the Testaments. I love everything she's ever written, but I finally had to stop watching Handmaid's Tale because it felt too, it didn't feel dystopian anymore. It felt like, okay, this could actually happen, you know, in Trump's America. So I, I just had to stop watching. It felt like I was, you know, starting to watch a documentary. Susan Nielsen from Family Law. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. But in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 